From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Nudists, some of them, love mac and cheese. Wait, what? What is even going on anymore? It's just so infuriating every time we do these. Let me go get a glass of milk, throw my chocolate chip cookies, and good old supermarket sweep. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go, 5 o'clock hour. It is here. It's Cofield and Company. Uh, score updates. Islanders, it was 2-2. They just scored two quick goals. So 2-2 series, 2-2 game goes to 4-2, close to the end of the second. Not great defense on goal number three, right, Adam? Uh, no, not at all. You can't just leave guys in front all alone and uh, kind of did it again. Bars all created this one, but, you know, left a, left a shooter alone on the wing on the power play and Everly finished. Nice. Real nice. Oh, look, at, look at that. Look, look at the little kid with his mask on in the Bruin sweater. Ah, ah you're losing. Hiding the tears. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. August 21st. August 21st! What a weekend! Do I have the right date? Uh, we've got Canelo. Check that. Not Canelo because he doesn't fight big fights. He just takes shots at Floyd. We've got... Errol Spence, we've got Pac-Man, MGM Grand Garden Arena, just down the road, the Al. Here we go. Here we go. Wrestling's coming to town. SummerSlam. All the wrestling fans, all the Pac-Man fans. What a weekend. Do you have your John Cena impression ready? What do you cover that weekend? You're on the wrestling. Uh, well, no, wait, hold on. There's a UFC fight that night. What First do you do? Training camp. Oh, that's right. Yeah. NFL Raiders fight sport way down here. I was just holding my hand up. Wow, you are he. That's how he answers everything now. Everything's the Raiders. Well, it's always number one. Okay. All right. Why doesn't your paper like other sports? Oh, they do. They just. I'm very actually. I'll be in LA, so I won't even be. Oh, look at you, puffing out your chest. Raiders Rams. Uh, SummerSlam is a gigantic event. It's a big get. That's going to be an awesome weekend. Very cool for the stadium. And again, yeah. this is, you know, when we talk about the stadium and the deal that was done, and there's a, you know, the deal was what it was. But the the ancillary benefits are some of these events coming to town, and uh, WWE has never done a SummerSlam at an NFL stadium. I don't know this. I learned it this weekend because this is my story that you're talking about. Um, and so this is the first time they've done it. Now they're doing it because WrestleMania was limited this year. Uh, it was a two-night affair, 25000 each night, so 50000 total over two nights at Raymond James. That's usually a sold-out football stadium. So that they couldn't do it. Now they want to do it uh, to do it up big here uh, in Las Vegas in August. Actually, Las Vegas has not been a good town for WWE. Haven't, haven't sold very well in some of their big events. They did have a WrestleMania at Caesars Palace like back in 93 or somewhere around there. Um, in the last couple of years, they haven't had a whole lot of their – Bigger events, they had like a, uh, I don't know these things, but the Elimination Chamber, which I learned is not called that uh, in some other countries, which is very interesting. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of events that have been here over the years, some Raws and things like that, but this is by far the biggest event that we've seen in a long, long time in the wrestling world. Number four. 
Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul. Uh, Logan Paul landed 13% of his punches. Uh, Floyd threw 13 punches around. It was kind of ridiculous. Clearly, Floyd carried Logan Paul, didn't want to annihilate him. Looked like he actually knocked him down, but he caught him. Uh, Paul was lucky to fall on him, and he held him up while he recovered. So it, it appears to be about a, you know as much of a work as you can with some real punches being thrown yeah. as you can have. So it was weird. Uh, I actually saw our buddy Ryan McKinnell over the weekend. He was a big uh, MMA and kind of boxing guy. Uh, after the result where Logan Paul went the distance, he then said, you still think Tyron Woodley is beating Jake Paul because he's not. Like, <laughs> Logan Paul being carried literally by Floyd Mayweather means that somehow Jake Paul is a great fighter and he's going to kill Tyron Woodley? I don't get it. I'm not sure what one has to do with the other. All right. Uh, the other point here is, uh, and we brought it up last week, Tyron Woodley's probably going to make as much money as he's ever made in any fight ever. That's a problem. He was a champion with the UFC. He's got a long fight history. Uh, Logan Paul was, you know, just talking about pay in the fight game in general and did go after the UFC. There's a movement uh, moving forward that is going to show that fighters should be getting paid more. It's unfair. The, the UFC fighters don't have fair pay. Out of all the sports, the percentage that the owners get versus the versus the athlete, they're the lowest. Francis Naganu versus John Jones. That fight should happen. Dana White, pay them the ten million. The, he, he's taking their money. They're the ones making the content. They're the ones getting in the ring, risking their life. Chris Weedman goes in, snaps his leg in half. What, what's that look like? He may never be able to fight again and provide food for his family. These fighters are risking their lives. You can quite literally die in the ring, and they need to be compensated more. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of that movement and being in control. And just like music labels, same thing. These artists are getting owned, and, and they get locked up into these contracts, and they don't know what to do. So, f*** that, Dana White. Wow, okay, good. there you go. Good cursing at the end to close it out. That was actually uh, the other Paul, Jake Paul. Well-spoken in that case. He makes a pretty good case. Is he wrong? Oh, now, he was wrong on the $10 million. For uh, Francis Ngannou and John Jones, John Jones should get thirty million. Yeah, that's that was but, the issue. But what? his basic, his basic deal here is that these guys have come from nowhere off of freaking YouTube, and they're making tens of millions of dollars. And we've got some UFC fighters who don't make that kind of money, even though they could be like you know they could be involved in a title fight, be a top five fighter for their career, and they don't get anything like that. Yeah, I mean this is this is intriguing to me because it seems like you know Jake Paul's doing this because Dana White took shots at them. And what they're doing, and what, what Triller is doing before uh, the Showtime thing, and everything else. So uh, he's just kind of, I think, being told some things and using those to fire back uh, at Dana White. But that doesn't take away from the fact that he's making good points in a lot of those areas. Uh, yeah, I think the the numbers were off because I think those guys are going to make more than ten million for that. They want to make much more than ten million for that, uh, as it would happen in the boxing world. They would get you know thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy million dollars for that fight, even more. So they want to make more than what they would normally make. So that takes a little bit away from it. But the point is there. The point is true. Now, again, there are, you know, counterpoints and, and everything to all these. When he says they make the least least percentage of any sport, true. Absolutely true. And fighters need to be paid more and they should be paid more. But the UFC's argument that they will come back with, in fairness to them, because I, I know their argument because I've heard it a thousand times, would be, yeah, this is a centralized organization with hundreds of employees in seven different offices around the world that are creating a platform through all these different uh, workers and uh, different locations and everything that they do. They're creating the platform for the fighters to make more money. And so that's where the money goes. Whereas like a promoter might have three, four, five employees and they don't have to pay all that out of, out of the money that they pay out for the fight purses. 
this is a different scenario, which I know that they would say, and I think it's fair, but even when taking that into consideration, fighters still are underpaid. It is time that that changes. Number three. Aaron Rodgers, is it about the pay? Is it about the contract? Is it mostly about the disrespect of assuming that he was done and Jordan Love was going to be the next guy? Well, whatever the story is, right now reports are that Rodgers tomorrow, mandatory minicamp, ain't showing up. Now the question for me is, will the wide receivers do the same thing they did last week? Because they also did not show up. The top five guys were not there. That's a statement. If they don't show up and they could be fine, now – Rodgers can be fined $93,000 for every day he doesn't show up. So that's a good chunk of change. Uh, I don't think the Packers are going to play games with Rodgers. But to your point earlier, where Mark Murphy's saying, hey, the, the the fan base is split. He said he's basing that on emails he's gotten. <laughs> okay, let's see the emails. I, I wonder if it's, if it's split. But you defended the Packers a little bit. By going back to the Kenny Main conversation with Aaron Rodgers, where he just won't lay it out on the table. I think sometimes people forget uh, what really makes an organization. And, uh, you know, history is important. Uh, you know, legacy of so many uh, people who've come before you. But the people, that's the most important thing. The people make an organization, people make a business. Um, and sometimes uh, that gets forgotten. By the people. There's a lot of people in there. There was. So you think there's just not enough clarity on Rogers' part as to what the hell's going on? I would I would love to know. Like I said, I, I'm I'm very sympathetic to the player side of most of these things. I'm almost almost exclusively on the player side in a lot of these. And even in this case, I lean toward Rogers' side. But there is an opportunity for him to actually be clear about his issue. And people expect people to be more clear than just saying people. Like, I, I don't know what people are. Who? What people? What people is he talking about? Number two. Abs or Golden Knights? Who's advancing? We don't know. It's a 2-2 series now. The momentum of the series has changed an awful lot. We do know this. They will be playing in Canada somewhere. The winner will be. Well, the NHL got special clearance from Canada. Baseball hasn't. But they will be able to go across the border both ways to play a hockey series. Uh, one thing I did notice, when the Avs or the Golden Knights go north, there will be a bubble. Uh-oh. They just roll with the punches on that one? Like, hey, that's the way it has to be? Yeah, I mean, the other option I get. Well, I guess what you would say is, no, we don't want that. Come play all the games at our arena. <laughs> that would be the Or be find a place in the U.S. It. Sure. Um, but it wouldn't really wouldn't be fair. Uh, to those teams that have earned the right to play in the playoffs. So the NHL is essentially bailing out Canada for its inefficient system of not getting everyone vaccinated quickly enough. Yeah, a little bit. And, you know, for... It hurts, sorry. It's not even just vaccinations. You're you're pro-Canadian at heart. It's not even just vaccinations. Anti-U.S. In the, the, you know, in public, there's not... uh, There's not as... There's still a lot more stringent of a lockdown as there is in many, many countries. Right. Um, So they're still trying to make sure. And the biggest... One would be people coming from other places. And, you know, sorry to, to break the people. Like Most of the world looks at the U.S. as having completely failed in this uh, pandemic. And many other countries join them in the same. But we're going to be kind of looked at sideways for a while, I think, for, you know, our response to this. And and if, if Canada saying, eh, Americans, eh, not so much. 
That's that's a bed that we made, and we have to lie in it. So I, that's all fine. But yeah, the bottom line is that there will be some ability for teams to travel to Canada for the games. Um, I, from what I've heard, media not a part of that. Uh, so there won't be like the big traveling parties. There won't be the big oh really coverage. I don't because they they have to quarantine. I mean, you can, I guess you can send somebody now <laughs> and try to anticipate that you'll be in Winnipeg and right. start the quarantine and get it done. But yeah, there, there'd be a 14 day quarantine. And by the way, interesting, not so much for the teams because they're flying private. The the rules state has to be private jet. Uh, have to oh, go really? right in and out. Yeah, yeah. There's certain there's certain aspects of this ruling that they have to follow exactly and precisely. We, I know we do this a lot, so I, don't, I, so I don't care. Just to throw this out recklessly, I actually talked to someone from Canada this week who said there's only three airports in Canada that are actually flying flights to the U.S. Huh. So if it was, so a, this is a big deal. Yeah, this is sure. a massive deal. For this sure. exemption. Yeah, well, I guess it shows hockey still has a lot of clout, especially in Canada. Number one, two-two series, right? Did everyone think we we're going to be sitting here? Not only two-two with the Knights and the Avs, but two-two with like. The Knights and fans feeling really good about, think about this, going up to Colorado and being able to take a game because that's what they got to do. They got to win one game up there, and Colorado is 20-0-1 since March. On the way back, we'll continue. I want Adam's answer on, you're covering the Avs. So what is Bednar going to do? His guys on that first line, they can't get free. He's got to get them away from what VGK is doing. What is he going to do? It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Smith and Marcia show buzzing in front. Marcia show! Hat-trick! Golden Knights take a 3 goal lead! Smith set it up across the crease. Marcia so delivers a playoff hat trick and the Golden Knights on top of the abs, 4 to 1 in game four. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. What do you think of the abs fight down the stretch? Didn't exactly see a freaking onslaught. Did they pull LeBron and kind of just walk off the ice? I thought early in the third they had some good fight. Yeah. Uh, it was 3 1. They had a couple chances. That's actually the the point of the game uh, that Bednar was talking a lot about. Right. Uh, they, they had it repeatedly, and they now they almost look like they're inside their own heads. Yeah, because they, they they had chances and they had opportunities to, you know, to get good looks and good shots and get close, and then they just missed, and not not like missed their spot, just missed the net. Uh, you know, four missed shots completely, and then one off the post. Uh, and I think at that point, it was like, all right, this is over. I thought the last goal was a real big lapse in comp- concentration, too, with Grubauer just sliding backwards. And then oh, you yeah. know, Patrick Brown's just allowed to sit there and freaking slap at him and knock the puck in. Like, yeah. just just mistakes all over the place. All right, so what does Bednar do? What does he do? The Knights have come up with this plan. They're freaking shutting down. I want you to mention the line. They're shutting down the top line. Yeah. And right. all we keep hearing is, well, you know, Two of the next three games, he has a you know he has a chance to make the decision. All right, what's he gonna do? Well, even he said last night. I mean, it's it's McKinnon and and Ranton and Landeskog, and they were dominant in the first game. Now they split them up in game three. Uh, as the game went on, they said, "All right, let's let's mix those guys up a little bit." Mostly because it seemed like they well first uh, Bedar was just not happy with the team's play in general and wanted to mix things up. But it also sounded like 
he wanted to see, okay, how are the Knights going to defend if you have to defend, you know, three different lines that have superstars on them? How are you going to spread out your defense there? I think he was just kind of poking and prodding and seeing how the Knights would react to certain things in that game. Uh, but to me, I think they, they're back together tomorrow, at least to start. And I think that they are going to count on them certainly a lot. I will say anytime there's a chance to get them out there against the third line of the of Vegas, they will. They've shown that they're pretty dominant in that matchup. But line one has been very good defensively. Line two has been great defensively against uh, the top line of Colorado. And line four has been pretty good defensively against Colorado. Uh, Colorado's top line. It's been three that has been kind of struggling a little bit. So uh, I would imagine that's the lineup they shoot for when they get last change. If there's a faceoff out there and Vegas throws out their third line, which they very rarely would, all of a sudden you're going to see the first line. You're going to see them as much as you can against that third line of Vegas. But you can only do that so often. You've got to get them competing at a high level and beating uh, the top two lines, especially of Vegas uh, on the defensive end. And, you know, one of the things Bednar said is, yeah, everybody says get them away from the top line. Vegas' top line is so good defensively. Well, the second line has been really good too, and they're making a pay on the other end. They're scoring. Don't forget, tomorrow, game five, you can check it out with Ryan the Hockey Guy over on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Boyd Gaming is the official home for Lotus Broadcasting throughout the Golden Knights playoff run, and the cannery will be the location inside Victory's Sports Bar and Grill. Happy hours, awesome there. Dollar hot dogs, two bucks on domestic beers, three on the imported beer, wine and cocktails, just $4. Great setup, tons of TVs, a bunch of 70-inch uh, TVs there. It might be 85-inch TVs. They are, it's gigantic. It's a great place. The cannery's freaking awesome. But check out any of the board gaming spots to watch the game. But tomorrow, Ryan the Hockey Guy on the road at the cannery with the VGK Insider Show and then uh, pre and post and intermissions. You can hang out and watch the game with Ryan from Fox, uh, Fox Sports Las Vegas at the cannery. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Well, so much for the Brooklyn Nets being screwed tonight without James Harden. That line shifted to the point where the Bucks on the road were a favorite. Right now, it's 57-33. The Nets are on top. KD, Kyrie, 27 combined, 57-33 with about five minutes left in the second. Bucks may want to play some defense here before they get 70 hung on them in a half. Mitch Lawrence covers the NBA. He's always nice enough to join us here and there. Works for SiriusXM. He's a longtime scribe. He's with us here on this Monday. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. How are you guys tonight? All right? We're good. What the hell is happening good. in this game? Uh, how are the Nets responding so strongly? <laughs> they roll kept they roll out yeah James Harden can't play who knows how long he'll be out it's the same hamstring injury that obviously has you know plagued him throughout the uh, latter part of the year but they still roll out Kevin Durant who might be the best player in the sport right now and Kyrie Irving and the Bucks you know PJ Tucker gets two quick fouls Giannis can't make shots Chris Middleton is like oh for the series he's having an awful series between game 1 and now he's 6 of 30 shooting he is, uh, let's see, about 0 of 9 on 3. So it looks like a big mismatch. I thought tonight the, the Nets would win, the Bucks would play it close. I think the Bucks guys still have to be kicking themselves. You know, it's a six-point game late in the third quarter of game one. And then all of a sudden, Giannis, trip after trip, whether it's missed free throws, turnovers, 
poorly identifying, you know, lack of court awareness, knowing that Brooke Lopez has Kevin Durant on him with and Kevin with four fouls, doesn't get him the ball. And then Kevin Durant at the other end basically, you know, carries the nets, and all of a sudden they're looking at a 14-point deficit. So they, they really uh, screwed themselves there in game one. And then tonight the nets just came out taking care of business. And the other thing I loved about game one for the nets, I'm sure you guys saw it too, is here they get rocked with this loss of James Harden. Uh, and, you know, they, their knees buckled a little bit, but basically they showed a lot of toughness and resiliency, a lot of mental toughness coming back in game one, even without arguably their second-best player. Might sound like a silly question based on what the score is right now, but how, how sustainable is this Nets team uh, and to, to be a contender to win a title without Harden? That's the big question. I think if they get by the Bucks, to me, the sailing's pretty good. I mean, look, they'll hit some road, they'll they'll hit some bumps in the road, but you mean to tell me they can't beat Atlanta or Philadelphia if they've got Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant? I mean, that was the that was the original game plan before James Harden ever forced his way out of Houston, right? That those were the two guys. Now they don't have other players who they gave up, obviously, for James Harden, guys like Karis Levert um, and Jared Allen. But they, I think they still have a very good team. And if you look at them, if you want to match them against anybody in the West. I mean, is anybody in the West going to be favored if the Nets go into a finals without James Harden? I would tend to think not. How concerned were you uh, about Philadelphia after game one? Concerned. I was concerned about them going into the series because Embiid's knee is not going to get better. His knee's going to get worse. And he gave them 39 points. And they got blown out. And then Atlanta did everything they could in that fourth quarter to lose the game and hand it to Philadelphia. And Philadelphia didn't just have enough shooting. Danny Green kept on missing shots that would have, I think, tied the game late. I'm very concerned when Embiid is hurt. Now, he scored 39, but I figure as long as the series goes on, his knee's going to get any, not going to get any better, right? He's going to be playing on it. So who knows uh, what, he'll, what he's going to do to that knee over the, uh, the length of this series, however far it goes. And Atlanta right now is playing with a ton of confidence. I mean, you know, they're 5-1 and one in the playoffs, which is a damn good record. Um, they surround, look, they, they've done it. You know, they didn't have DeAndre Hunter, who had a really good, he had a solid series against the Knicks. He wasn't spectacular, but he had his moments, and they walk into Philadelphia without one of their top players and still beat them. So they're going to be a handful. Philadelphia is going to be in, they're in trouble right now because, you know, they, I, you know the, way, the way Trey Young is playing and the way he finds people and they're playing with the ultimate confidence of, you know, they, they won in a more hostile environment in New York. Why can't they win more games in Philadelphia? So, Doc Rivers probably has to be very concerned. Let's uh, let's stay in the Northeast region and, and get to the Knicks here for a second. So Thibodeau gets coach of the year. Um, you know, solid year, surprising year. Uh, Monty Williams actually got more first-place votes. I don't know if you had a vote in this, who you voted for, but what's your take on Thibodeau winning? And here's the other one. Those of us out here in the West on a lot of these stories immediately run to East Coast bias. Hey, it's a New York guy. That's why he won it. Well, what he, he uh, what money have two more first place votes than Tom yeah. was that yeah, yeah, forty three or something yeah you know I don't have a vote anymore but uh, I would have voted for Tom just from the standpoint of and take nothing away from the job Monty Williams did uh, and I know they went eight and zero in the bubble Phoenix you mean to tell me the the addition of Chris Paul didn't mean more to that team than anything else this year Chris Paul is the biggest reason why they had the success they had almost. You know, finish first in the West. Look, nothing again. Monty Williams is a good coach, but when you bring in a Chris Paul to be your floor general leader, to show Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton who've done nothing but lose in the league, that is a transformative 
addition. That, to me, and I tweeted this out a few weeks ago, a few months ago, that the two people who had the most impact in the league, respective conferences, first-year guys, both teams, Tom Thibodeau as a coach for the Knicks and Chris Paul. How did Chris Paul not finish in the top three for MVP? Yep. That's ridiculous. Yep. He should have been. I'm not saying he should have won. He should have been second to Jokic. Guy plays almost every game. I think when he missed one or two games, uh, which Embiid could not. You know, Joel Embiid and guys like that, obviously LeBron, they couldn't win MVP because they missed too many games. But how does Chris Paul finish behind Steph Curry as the number two overall team? They had, they all, you know, they had better records than every other team, but Utah had a better record than the Nets. And so, uh, to me, it's all about Chris Paul. It really is. And so, I don't think it's East Coast bias. I think what you saw from the Knicks is that Thibodeau did more with less. And, you know, we knew it was going to catch. If you know basketball, you knew it was going to catch up with them in the playoffs, guys, because talent-wise, Atlanta had much more talent. And Julius Randle was exposed for what he is. Is he a third option on a very good to great team? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> he's, not, he's not more than that. He had a terrible series. So I don't think it's East Coast bias. I think a lot of people, look, I thought the Knicks were going to be a playing team at best. And they were what? The, the Vegas odds had him, what, 22 and a half wins? Correct. And they went from 21 to 41. And that's Thibodeau, who, you know, he didn't do his smoke and mirrors. He made demands of players that haven't been made on Nick players since the days of, like, Jeff Van Gundy, yeah. which is... This is work. You got to show up. You got to produce accountability. You have to play defense. If I don't like your approach, you're gone, like Austin Rivers. I mean, you know, Thibodeau ran a very tight ship, demanded a lot of players, and these guys embraced it. All these guys who are basically backups and role players that he has, for the most part, uh, they had great years, you know, exceeding everybody's expectations. So once again, I think Phoenix has more talent. Now, if if you want to you want to tell me if Phoenix finishes first in the West, is that you know, make money even better. Yeah, but you're going to tell me Chris Paul didn't make what, – what, what, let's put it this way. What would have happened if they would have kept Ricky Rubio or somebody else at the point guard? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they finishing second in the West? Probably beating not. the Lakers in the first round? Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Mitch Lawrence with us, uh, NBA scribe, works for uh, SiriusXM NBA and uh, Mad Dog Radio. All right, let's talk a little L.A. basketball. Man, I, I want to bet the Clippers, and actually everyone's bet the Clippers, so the series number here has gone – Way down. The Jazz are a slight favorite in that one. But I still yeah. worry about the Clippers and their moments where they just, for quarters at a time and even games, just decide to sleepwalk. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. We all have concerns about the Clippers. The only person I'm really not concerned about is Kawhi. Right. But Kawhi, you know, game six and game seven, those are rarities now. He seemed to do that a lot more. Well, maybe not. But, you know, first of all, we all know he can do what he did in game six and seven because he's a two-time finals MVP. But I don't – and, you know, he – remember, last year in the bubble, game seven was a disaster for him. Everybody got on Paul George and crucified him because Paul George says nutty stuff. (laughs) Kawhi doesn't say nutty stuff. Kawhi doesn't talk. He's the great sphinx. So you can't – he really doesn't, you know, undermine himself with the crazy talk. Paul George is crazy talk, and when he has bad games – that comes back to bite them. Uh, so they'll have the best player on the court in that series, but I don't know if that means they'll necessarily win because Utah's, to me, a much more together team. Now, Mike Conley Jr. is questionable for game one. He's got a hamstring issue. Does that hurt them? You bet it does. Um, so that narrows the gap. Uh, I, you know, the thing about the Clippers is you know, they couldn't deal with Luka Doncic for the longest time, and he ran out of gas in a lot of fourth quarters. Uh, I don't think Donovan Mitchell is going to run out of gas. Now, he's not the same player as Luka Doncic, don't get me wrong. But I think 
I think Utah could, you know, I think they could win the series. I haven't been big. You know, I thought Utah basically peaked back in January and February when they won, what, 22 out of 24 games. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I'm not crazy about Gobert making a ton of money being my quote-unquote second option when he really can't produce scoring-wise. But I think they're a better team team, team with a capital T. And so we'll see if the better team beats the team with the best player in the series. That remains to be seen. And they have home court Utah. I don't know how many fans are going to be in these buildings. It's hard to keep track of that. Are they going to allow more Clipper fans than there were for earlier games? We'll see. But uh, Utah's going to be a tough – that's going to be tough for the Clippers to finally make their first conference finals, right? They have to beat that team. That's going to be a tall order. Mitch, I don't even know what this question means, but I'm going to ask it to you and see what you say. I, I, don't, I don't get Paul George. I, I don't understand. He's, he's overrated. He's so he's not, good, I'll though. I'll tell you what. He's a guy. He's got a world of talent. You know, you look at him, you go, man, this guy's got, you know, hey, everybody thinks he's top 15, top 10 player. I don't think that. To me, he's just a wildly inconsistent guy who always seems to break down, disappoint, have meltdowns at the worst time. And so I think if, you, if you're looking, you know, your problem might be that you're expecting too much. <laughs> I, I got off his bandwagon way back in Indiana. I don't think I was ever on it, but I saw it for what it was. And I remember... There was a series after they, one of those series, they lost to Miami. And uh, they lost to a better team. And, you know, Larry Bird was in charge. And somebody from the Indiana media, Larry's, you know, end of year kind of wrap up thing was waxing eloquent about, you know, the Paul George who had some phenomenal game in the series, but the next game he didn't show up. And Larry Bird said, if you're a great player, you've got to do it every game. Uh-huh. And that's Larry Bird telling you. Yep. And I remember, there, you know, and I'm sitting there listening to this going, yeah, he's damn right because that's Larry Bird. And that's Paul George. He'll give you a great game. He will disappear. He'll screw things up. He, to me, the big mystery still is, and you'll never, you never know why because he can't answer the question. He doesn't, doesn't want to talk. Why would Kawhi Leonard identify him as the guy he wanted the Clippers to give up a King's ransom for so that he would sign in L.A.? Still doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Uh, maybe more proof why players should have some input, but they don't have well, final say. They should not right. be the GM, which brings us to player empowerment. Yeah. Yes, yes, brings us to LeBron. Yes, I got to. I got to tell you, I was actually sad last week watching LeBron and the Lakers walk off the floor because I felt like it was kind of an end of an era unless they do some serious retooling on that Lakers team. Am I wrong? Am I being melodramatic because of the moment? Like, what what do the Lakers need to do this off season? Well, they definitely have to get better. Uh, they have to get more shooters for LeBron. Uh, look, Marcus Gasol is not the answer in the middle. They shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't have parted ways with Dwight Howard and, and Rondo. They probably should have run it back. The other big problem is what is Anthony Davis going to do in the offseason to make sure that he doesn't break down anymore? He's at the ripe old age of 28, <laughs> and he's got like a body that it keeps breaking down. And you saw what he did in the second half of the two Laker wins. He was unstoppable. And so once he went down, and then, you know, in the last, what, three games he played, whatever it was, 20, you know, 20 odd minutes, scored six points. He was no factor in the He shouldn't have been on the court in the last game. It was painful to watch. So they have to make sure that he does something different in his offseason conditioning to make sure he can actually go through a season. LeBron, you know, will come back loaded for bear. Now he's going to be 37 in 19 years. Uh, could there be a drop off? Yeah. Could he get injured again? In those two of the last three years, he's been injured. So. That used to be used to be indestructible, right? Used to be basically a, a, like a, a medical marvel. So they have to get better, more shooting. They got to get a guy like a Kyle Lowry. That would help them considerably if they can. Now Kyle Lowry is going to be a guy who Miami's going to want, who Philadelphia is going to want, and who the Lakers going to want. Guaranteed, a guy like that is going to be worth 
a lot for the Lakers. They need more shooting. First and foremost, take care of the middle and make sure Anthony Davis can play uh, close to a whole season. Mitch, that was awesome. Good conversation. Thank you, as always. Guys, appreciate it. Enjoy the playoffs. I'll talk to you. Thanks, man. There is Mitch Lawrence doing work for SiriusXM NBA, Mad Dog Radio. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um, you know, of all the guys they were talking to right after the Lakers lost, Dennis Schroeder, Dennis Schroeder was like, yeah, I'll come back. Yeah. <laughs> Let's pump the brakes on that one. I'm not sure that's your decision. I like Schroeder. As a guy you need to lean on, Potentially as a number three option, and when one of those guys gets hurt, he's number two. No, they need to they need to bring in a lot more guys for sure. Whatever, however they can make it work. But I, I don't mind him having I don't mind having him on the roster. You want AD, LeBron, and a bunch of nice pieces, or AD, LeBron, and another person to make a big three? AD, LeBron, Dame. The Cofield and Company crew is back tonight at ten thirty. It's John Von Tobel and Adam Hill with their Smarter Than You podcast. Watch at Steve Cofield on Twitter or on YouTube. Cofield and Company presents. Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Islanders 5-3 now on the Bruins. Nine minutes left. You surprised? Taking a 3-2 lead if they hold on? Um, no, I thought it was going to be a good series. Um, you know, I I thought that early on Boston looked good. Rast didn't look comfortable today at all. And that it wasn't really his fault. The goals weren't really on him. But it just didn't look like he was moving necessarily right. He got pulled uh, in this game. So, um yeah, a, a big win potentially for the Islanders here. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Boy, Winnipeg so far, no show. Oh, down three nothing, down two nothing. End of the first. Montreal leads two nothing. I saw uh, during one of the breaks. Might have been between the first and second period with the Golden Knights and the Avs. Uh, Keith Jones is doing an analysis. He's like, he's like Montreal better not be looking ahead to scout this series. They should be real worried right now because the brand of hockey these two teams are playing is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's a completely different. And, you know, we saw during the season Montreal was not very good. Uh, they were, you know, the Golden Knights and Avalanche tied at 82 points. The Canadians had 59, if I remember correctly. Uh, but they're going to get through. Uh, and, you know, they become dangerous. I mean, they're they're hot. They're playing well. They're playing their best hockey at the right time. They've got guys like... Former Golden Knight farmhand Nick Suzuki breaking out, which is very interesting. Um, that series, I mean, you know, Pacioretty in Montreal, it'd be very intriguing. There's a lot There's a lot to kind of embrace about that potential series. Uh, but the Golden Knights have to get there, of course. The Canadians are heading there. And, you know, Carey Price is the kind of player that can take over an entire series. We talk, you know, we talk about what is the most, you know, important position in sports and Oftentimes we say quarterback, you know, starting pitcher is very important, certainly in the postseason in baseball. But man, is there anything that can carry your team like a goalie that gets hot and prices as good as anybody when he's good? Stick your hand in there, Dave. New York's team, the Nets, 65-41 at the half. <laughs> Bucks were favored going into this one. Come on. It was a huge reaction to Harden's injury. James Harden being out. Um, and, and as we talked about earlier, it's kind of weird because he really didn't play in the first game. 
Like he really wasn't there much at all. He didn't help him much. Uh, was out with the injury for much of the game, and then you know you go into the second game with essentially the same lineup. Why do you think it's going to be that much different? Now, of course, the game two, the you know playing back against whoever wins game one, like all those things came into play for why some of the money went in that direction. But uh, I just thought it was an extreme overreaction. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Naomi, uh, Naomi Osaka out of the next tournament after the French. Wimbledon tune-up, does that mean she's out of Wimbledon? That's starting to be the thought. The... What, do you, what do you think the tennis bosses should do? So she bailed on the Nothing. French Open. She said, I don't want to do post-game, uh, post-match. My mental health you know, is at risk here. It's in jeopardy. So should Wimbledon come up with some special rules for her? No. Why not? Oh, she got mental health issues. But it's don't play. Like it's fine. You know, if you don't want to play, we can't bend a little bit. Well, then everybody's going to want to do it, right? I mean, how do we know that? I mean, how do we know everyone's going to do that? Well, everybody's going to want to. Okay, well then everyone has to bring in a doctor's note. In well, essence, does she? I don't know. Yeah, I, like I don't like again. I I'm totally open to the, now. I don't think they should change the rules. Like, there's a rule in place. If you don't want to do media, you pay a fine and you move on. Right. And they were talking about potentially changing that rule. That's wrong. But if you if if she wants to look and say, all right, this is how much the fine is, cool. I'll just go play the tournament. Well, I won't do the interviews. I'll pay the fine. Like those things are all fine. Um, I don't I don't have any reason to question her. I don't want this to be a thing where you can just say it. And listen, again, I'm not talking about her. I'm saying I don't want in the future. Everyone would just say, "Ah, oh, you know what? Mental health. I can't do it. I, 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 I have too much respect for it. I have too much, um, not not understand. I guess understanding is the right word. Empathy. I have too much passion for what mental health is and what people go through with mental health issues to then allow people to just start saying, "I can't do this because of that." Stick your hand in there, Dave. So I try to keep that stuff in mind, right? When I see my peers in the media, moving on from a job, right? I'll generally, if I remember, I'm very forgetful, but I will send a text and be like, hey, I hope everything's good. I hope, you know, whatever's coming up next is going to be good. So I did that the other day for Ariel Hawani, our good buddy who was on last week, uh, ESPN MMA guy, legendary MMA guy. He's got like a million followers. He's the voice of mixed martial arts in the media. Well, he's leaving ESPN. So I was like, oh, with the last tweet I sent, or last text I sent to him, let me We'd send over, hey, you know, I hope you're well. I hope, you know, sorry to see you, see you leave uh, ESPN. That's a bummer. I hope whatever's next is great. What was the problem? Well, I certainly didn't want to be specific about who the person was we who cares? were talking about. Who cares? Um, you got caught because I did it on a group text. Right. So and it was my, like my the, take la- the was, last text I saw. So I was like, Adam's not going to. Well, did I force you to be nice? My take was, yeah, if in that situation, in a generic situation, whoever that person is, now I have to text that person. I have you have given me no choice but to text that person, and I'm not saying it's about Ariel. I'm just saying if I wasn't going to text him, now I have to. Like that—that that is a social hijacking. Coming up tonight on the late night happy hour, Adam will have the rest of the news around Ariel and what's going on at ESPN.